And I want to start with a scripture that if you grew up in church, you know. Um, and uh, this was the pastor's guilt, guilt verse if you didn't show up to church all the time. He quoted this one to you, okay? And uh, if you've been around Orchard Grove for a while, you know I don't try to do the guilt thing. But let me show this to you in a way that maybe will help you think about the importance of getting together. Of getting together. Um, so, uh, this is Hebrews 10, and it says, Let us consider, ready, how we may... I think they're going to put it up there, or they may not. They're thinking about it. Let's you and I get together in the booth back there and put this one up if you can. Oh, there it is. Give them a hand in the back, whoever's back there. All right. All right. Ready? Let's look at this. Let us consider. Have you ever considered something? Considered buying a new car? Considered moving? Considered selling? Considered a new job? Consider. Just to, I'm just throwing this out for your consideration. There's no hammer. There is no have to. There is no you're going to hell. Let's just consider. How many can consider? Open enough to consider. A couple of you couldn't even do that. I don't even know why you're here. All right. Let us consider how we may, ready, spur one another on towards what? Love and how many think this is, just stop right there. How many think this is okay? How many think this is all right? I, I, I just want to get together and think about, let me throw an idea out there. You haven't been in a meeting? Let me just throw this idea out there. How could we inspire, encourage, motivate, spur each other on towards love and what? Good deeds. Let's say it together. Towards Love and so what's the motive? What's the reason? Why would we get together? To encourage each other, to inspire each other towards love and good deeds. Let's say it's towards love and that's good stuff. That's the whole motive. That's the whole reason that we're going to talk about in this series is that we want to figure out how we can do this. The truth is Sometimes when you're with other people, you're inspired to do things that you aren't inspired to do by yourself. Think about it. Sometimes when you're with other people, you're inspired to do things that you're not inspired to do when you're just by yourself. If you're out on our lake, and let's say you're wakeboarding or you're surfing or whatever you're doing, and you're going along and you see another boat coming along over here, guarantee... The great wakeboarders, they always wait till they get somewhere near this other boat. So when they l- throw their sweet trick, someone else is going to what? See it. I've seen it a hundred times. Like, I got this trick, but I'm going to wait till this boat gets close enough so that they can go. Wah. Why? We inspire each other. Isn't it true? Have you ever been in the gym working out? And if you've ever seen this before, if you worked out with a team, you get a bunch of guys or gals, whatever you, your thing is there, and you're working out together, and there's a bunch of guys, and there's two guys screaming in your ear, and you're on the bench press, and they're just yelling in your ear. You can do more. You can do more. You absolutely can and will do more when you're inspiring, spurring, jolting each other on. So the idea, the whole idea, listen, this is so important. The whole idea of getting together is not to make God happy, to get rid of your sins, to get credit. The whole idea, the foundational idea of us getting together is that we might spark each other. We might say something to each other 
that encourages us towards love and good deeds. It's been um, been a tough week in America. Some bad things. People always call me. People always ask me, you know, when these serious tragedies happen, what's going on? And some people jump into kind of weird doctrine, and, and I don't have have time. I'll do a, I'll do a Bible study for you on how screwed up some of the teaching is around that some other time. But here's the thing. There are bad things that are going to happen. There are broken people. There are, but listen, what's our response? Our response to me has to be spurring each other on towards love and good deeds. Yes, there's discussions about tactically what should happen, what should happen, you know, in structure and society. All those are important things. But listen, our response can't be this curse the darkness, curse the darkness. Our response has to be light a candle. Spur each other on towards love and good deeds. Our thing is love and good deeds. That's our thing. That's our sweet spot. That's the boat that we row. So he goes on to say, and this is important, he says in, in the Hebrews 10, I think in the 25th verse, he says, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Aren't we creatures of habit? All right. How many of you have a habit of sitting in the same spot right, at church? In the same spot, all right? We're habits, so it's okay. Our habits are good. They make us and they break us. Our habits make us and they break us. But you can get into a habit and you can get out of a habit. Is this true? How many have ever gotten into some good habits? You know what I mean? You get good habits. Some people just I got good habits of doing this. Um, how many have ever gotten into some bad habits? Okay. Few less, few less honest people in the second vote. That's all right. Um, the reality is we get into good habits and bad habits. Good habits and, and, and they're habitual, the things that we do. I have a habit. I'll just give you one simple, um, probably neutral to negative habit, right? Neutral to negative. Every single morning, the very first thing on my brain, I love to say is Jesus. I think it is, but it's also coffee. Anybody have this habit with me? I mean, habit. I mean, bam, I am there. I am at the cupboard. It's the first thing that happens. I'm going to put some caffeine in these veins, right? Now, thankfully, I don't like guzzle it all day long, but it's a habit. It is an absolute habit. It's what I do. Some of you have a habit uh, of the way that you make your bed or the way that you, you get ready in the morning. You have a habit of... There's so many things that we do, and they create us. And he says, don't give up the habit of meeting together. This is what I like to say. The church and the gathering, again, it's not talking about God's mad at you or not. He just says, this is a habit. And some people get out of the habit. Isn't it true? You can get out. You, have you ever gotten out of a good habit, whatever that might be? You're just like, oh, this and that. And man, I, I was doing that so well. Maybe you had an exercising habit. You know, you'd go for a walk every day, and then what happens? The holidays came, and then this happened, and then that happened. Anybody? And then the habit fell away. 
He said, some people have gotten out of the habit of getting together, of meeting together. And he says, when you don't meet together, you don't encourage each other in the same way. You know, the funny thing is about Orchard Grove, our church family, I'll say things. And you know, the funny thing is most of you already know what I'm saying. You just need to be reminded. I don't say anything new. I never say anything new, original. It's usually not even interesting. You just need a lot of reminders. Isn't it true? But isn't that true of all of us? We just need to be, what? Reminded, encouraged. And so I think one of the things that happens is we start to say, you know what? I have to stay in my good habits. I hope, I pray, I mean... We will do everything we can to make this gathering a good, encouraging, inspiring experience for every single one. But it is an equal obligation. Can I say that fairly? It is an equal obligation that you make the habit to be a part. Why? Because it doesn't say just receive encouragement. Some of you, you're here to give encouragement. The whole series that we're getting ready to do on Row the Boat is this. You're not just a consumer, you are a contributor. A consumer is a person that comes in, finds the best seat, right? I've seen some of you fight for seats before during the holidays. It's fun, right? Um, Find the best seat because I am a what? Consumer. This guy's in my seat. He can't save seats. can't do this. I'm a consumer. Uh... A large pastor of a very large church in America who just just moved into retirement. So when you're when you're retiring, you can say whatever you want to say, huh? Can't wait for that day. You just say it. And they said, "What's the greatest problem in the church in America today? The greatest problem? You know what he said? Consumerism. People come. They find the seat they want." They get the right people around them. They evaluate the pastor's message. A little, little off today, Chris. Uh, they evaluate, right? And then they talk about it with their friends. It's a consumer mentality, just like you would do if you went to Costco or if you went to see a movie. And people completely misunderstanding the church is a family, a body. That all of us, we're not consumers, we're contributors, we're both. It's give and receive. It's you have a part of this family. So the habit is the habit to get together and to encourage each other. Some had gotten out of this habit. Let me take you back to the book of Acts where it talks about this habit that started to form. Acts chapter 2. And I think they'll put this verse up as well. But it says in Acts chapter 2 that what they would do is they would uh, get together. All right. Um, Let's read it. Acts 2, 42. They devoted themselves, right, to breaking of bread, to the apostles' teaching, to prayer. And this is the commitment that they had. So look at this. Learning what the apostles taught. So that's people getting together to listen to teaching. The apostles would teach. Um, Gathering for fellowship. Breaking of bread. That's eating and praying. 
I want you to look at this verse for a minute. They continually committed. Let's say it together. They continually, what's the word? Committed. You can't have any team. You can't have any, anything if people don't commit. If your kids ever joined a team, you know this in our society, they get the kids together and say, you need to commit this season. Anybody, anybody ever go to one of these meetings with your kids? Put your hand up. You need to commit. It's not, uh, you know, just whenever, whenever the Lions aren't playing, you know, did anybody ever, any coach ever say, no, this is a commitment. I need you to be here. This is a commitment. Um, you want to be on this team or not on this team? They don't go, this is the team of grace. So, you know, when you show up, we'll just throw you in there. And that's not what they say. Has anybody ever been to a meeting like that? No. They go, you have to commit to this season, to this team. You have to be there. So this early group, they committed. They said, we'll be there. This is the time we will be there. Do emergencies, do things. Yeah, but they had a commitment. They made a commitment. We, in a society, have a fear of commitment. We struggle with commitment. Why? Why do we struggle? This is a new phenomenon they call fear of missing out. Well, but I could be over here. Huh? But I, I, I could say yes to this, but if I hold on, I might could say yes to that. And if you make some predetermined commitments up front, you say, you know what? This is important to me. This is what they did. And this is what they were committed to. The apostles' teaching, gathering for fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. So during this next 40 days, we're going to do something very special. We're going to try to use that as a pattern for our gatherings. We're going to gather on Sundays. We're going to have other gatherings where you can gather for fellowship. And Tim did a great job of putting together all kinds of opportunities for you to fellowship, to meet other people. So, like I said, there's everything from bowling to basket weaving. I don't know about the basket weaving, but I think there's, there's crocheting. I mean, it's all in there. And it's like, just show up to one, meet some people, and get together. And then you'll probably break bread. You'll probably eat together. You'll probably share a meal together. I don't pretend to be a super analyst, a psychologist, a super apostle. But I have a couple of ideas about some things that are broken in our society. Can I just say this for a minute? We partner with one of the poorest nations in the world, the nation of Malawi. Pastor Bright's from Malawi. One of the poorest nations in the world. Those people, you would think, if you went there, you would think these people have despair. These people have no hope. These people have unbelievable problems. Listen to me. They don't have mass shootings. I just want you to think about it. Our society, just, just take this as Chris's opinion and then throw it out. Our society, our society is struggling from separateness. We aren't good separate. We aren't good emotionally separate. It's not good for us to be isolated. It's not good for us to be alone. It's not good. And, and, and it's, it's, it's infecting every part of our culture. We're isolating this, this political party and that political party so far apart as if all of these people are absolute idiots. And all of these people are absolute idiots in every single thing that they say and they believe. 
This is ridiculous. This is unbelievable. This is unprecedented. We could say, I disagree with you on that. I think you have, your, your team has nice colors. I wish we had a donkey instead of an elephant. And I, and, uh, look, we have, we've lost it in this idea. And, and, and it's all coming back to separateness. You're completely over here. I'm completely over here. You're completely wrong. I am completely right. Instead of togetherness, it's starting to affect our society in an unbelievable way. So instead of separateness, I want to promote togetherness. Togetherness. One, two, three. Togetherness. Goes on in Acts and it says this. There was an intense sense. I think they'll put it up there. There was an intense sense of, one, two, three. Togetherness. Togetherness. Two weeks we're going to feed the poor, but we're going to do it together. We're not going to go home and write checks. We're going to do it together. Right here, right here. We're going to do it together. There's something about coming together. And the togetherness was huge. These were the kinds of things that, that Christ talked about and taught us the importance that we should always understand that we need to be together. Do you know Jesus said this? Where two or three are together... In my name, I am there with them. Two or three. Two or three. We live in a lone... What I'm trying to say is you've been baked in a lone ranger society. It's hard to realize how much that's a part of our culture. Be independent. Be on your own. Be self-sufficient. And it's a lie. No person is self-sufficient. No person. No, there is no Marlboro man, right? All of us actually need and are very heavily, heavily interdependent on one another, which we're going to talk about as being the body of Christ. We're the body. We're connected. I need you. You need me. We need each other. We need each other emotionally. We need each other spiritually. We need each other economically. So there's this great poem in Ecclesiastes. And it says this. Two are better than one. Because they have a good return for their labor. You know this. If you get together, two people can do better than one. Also, if you stumble, if someone falls down, one can help the other one up. Right? So, how many have ever stumbled in life? I got time. How many stumbled? You need someone to help you up. Help you up emotionally. If you've ever really been down, you, you absolutely know what I'm talking about. You can remember the people that called, the people that cared, the people that reached out. So, two are better than one because if you fall down, someone can get you back up. What's the greatest thing to get you back up? Somebody to believe in you. Somebody to reach out to you. But pity the one who falls and no one's there to help him up. Also, if two people lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Think of two logs. If, you, if you're at the end of a night, you may have a campfire, and you want to put the campfire out, what do you do with the two logs? Pull them apart. 
If you have three logs, you isolate them. It'll burn out faster. What does that mean? When we're together, when we're touching, we're powerful. But when we're separate, we're waning and we're weak. The one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, and a cord of three strands is not easily broken. If you start to weave together a cord and it's got all these strands interwoven together, that's a powerful thing. What's God saying? He's saying, if we interconnect our lives with each other, I know, listen, you're taught so much in our society, sort of subtly, be alone, be independent, don't need anybody, don't ask for help, be isolated. But all of that stuff is a lie and it's robbing you of something that's so vital. I am going to ask today for you for six weeks to make a commitment. Some of you, it's uncomfortable. No, I just want to be alone. I want to push people away. I just want to watch on TV. I don't don't want, look, I want to push you past some of your discomfort for your own good and for the greater good of our family, our community, and then for the greater good of our nation, for our world. I want to call you to togetherness. It's good for you. It's good for us. As I close, here's what I'd like you to think of. Um, The Bible is filled with these phrases. One another. Care for one another. Pray for one another. Encourage one another inspire one another. It's it's filled over and over again. One another. Why? Because we were built for each other. If you go back to the very beginning, go to Genesis, it says, God says, let us make man in our image. Why is God talking in plural? If I said to you, let us take you out to dinner, you'd be looking around, well, who's with you, man? What are you talking? The, the very idea of God is that God is plural, that God is, you, you, you may learn this somewhere in your Sunday school, Trinity in nature. That he's not one, but he's three in one. What? He's a cord of three strands. How many of you know that we struggle with this? A lot of us have the Gandalf God in our head, don't we? What's the Gandalf God? The beard, the throne, the everybody's away from him, God. Don't how many? How many? Come on. I got time. And he's got a record book up there and he's keeping track and right? What you do, what you don't have, what you don't have in your mind most of the time is a God that it, and, and, and by the way, most people have a pecking order. If you if you've been taught the Trinity at all, how many of you ever heard the word? How many of you been taught? If you've been taught, most of you've been taught this way, the pecking order trinity. Maybe never stated overtly, but, you know, you got God the Father up at the top, right? And then you probably got the Son down here, because, you know, all sons are subservient to their fathers. Waka. True? And then, you know, kind of, I don't really know, the Holy Spirit, I don't really know exactly what he does, but he's... Put your hand up if I'm telling the truth here, people. Not at all it. Not at all it. Not a hierarchy God. The actual word 
Uh, the actual word uh, that, that's used in the Bible is dancing. Choreography. Huh? How many like to dance? It's this intertwining. Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Could you imagine a hoedown with the Father? Some of you are like, I'm writing you an email. You said hoedown in the Trinity. <laughs> send me the email. Bring them. All right. I'll send you a reply. All right. Because this is it. This is it. This is the actual language. It's this Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And they're all together. And what do you mean? God's not alone. Never has been alone. It's always been. If you saw the shack and you were privileged, I mean, gosh, we had Paul Young here, right here in our church. There's an undercurrent to what he was teaching in that movie. And he was teaching us God's not alone. It's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. What would make us think that we would do good alone if God doesn't do good alone? God's never been alone. For no other reason, get yourself in a small group because God is. Get yourself a couple friends, my friend. Don't do this thing on your own. Uh, I'm going to pass out some cards in a minute. All right, so you guys get ready. Not, don't pass them out just yet. Let me go through this. Together, we help each other through difficulty and depression. And I, I did use the word depression there because our society struggles with it. And it could be a varying degree. So I'm just not, I don't feel that. Call it difficulty all the way to depression and anywhere in the spectrum in between. When you have other people around, that stuff fades easier. It's just true. If you're feeling down, if you're feeling low, you need to be around other people. You do. It helps us through difficulties. Isolating is the worst thing you can do. Why do you think when people capture others, they put them in solitary confinement? Because you can break someone when they're alone. If they can communicate, why do you think guys in war, if they get captured, they find any possible way to communicate with other prisoners? If they have any sort of connection, they have hope in life. Listen, if they have any connection, they have hope in life. Morse code, scratching on the door, anything, hope in life, because I need to connect. We were built to connect. You must know this. Second is this. Being together stimulates growth. It stimulates us. Certain things, you know the word stimulate? They stimulate us. When I get with other people, they, they, they start getting me thinking. They push me off center. They push me off old ideas. They get me into new ideas. Stimulates. And third, this is, uh, provides a force for us to change the world. Together, we can change the world. We're more powerful together than we are apart. I'll give you one example from the early church. Stuff that gets missed all the time. Together we can change the world. We're more powerful. The early church was radically inclusive. The early church was radically inclusive. What I mean by radically? Completely counter to the culture. Radically inclusive. Let's say it together. Radically inclusive. Oh, boy, I didn't get much love there, brothers and sisters. Radically what? Inclusive. Together. One, two, the radically inclusive. 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 Not exclusive. Sadly, 
the opposite of what you think of many churches today. Who's in and who's what? Out. They were so radical in the new church. They just brought everybody in. They didn't care what color, what race, male, female, what background. They didn't care. This was radical. It changed human history. Anybody ever read a Bible verse and go, huh? How about a lot of them? All right, I'm going to give you a couple today. This is free. I'm not charging for this. Sometimes you'll read something like uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And you get reading in there about women. You should wear a head covering when you're in church. Anybody ever read this verse or this section? Where are they, ladies? Where's, I'm kidding. What do we do with these kinds of verses? Well, if you're a real like a Bible thumper, you just, you just do all these mental games and mash things up. Some of you are real hardcore. You do it. There are whole churches dedicated. That's what they do. The women wear head coverings in church. That's what they do. And then the, you have to just say, I, I don't know, I just, I don't know, I'm not a good Christian. But, but listen, maybe there's another way of understanding. I mean, this is so, this is free. Maybe there's another way of understanding something that we thought we understood. If you first read Paul, you'd think Paul is the biggest egotistical May I say it, male chauvinist pig you've ever read. True, read it. It sounds like this. Men are here, women are here, and ladies, you should put a head covering on. Let me give you two minutes of background. In New Testament times, women wore a veil. Actually, the same word to be veiled is to be married. Same word. When you said, uh, I'm married, it would mean I'm veiled. So... If you were a, a beautiful, respectful woman, respected woman in culture and society, you would you'd have a veil. If you were, and there were slaves, tons of slavery back then, and many of the slaves were prostitutes, and people who were not respected were not veiled. Ladies who were not respected, I don't need to be graphic, do I? Women of the street, can I just gloss over it? Not respected, not veiled. Respected, veiled. So, if you, how many like to be respected? I mean, I mean, like, yeah. So, if you, if you were, they had police. This is, I, I can document this. Read Sarah Rudin's book sometime on, on Paul among the people. Game changer. Look, they had police. They would go around to festivals and look for women who were putting a veil on who didn't deserve to have one on. No, 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 you're not, you're not. Did you know it was punishable by death if a woman was caught at the Olympic Games? That's some messed up stuff. So if you were in that society and you had a veil on, something, a head covering, you were, oh, look at that beautiful woman. If you didn't, you're like, huh? There was an immediate class system. The ins and the what? Outs. The goods and the... Is it true? Look, ready? Wait for it. If Paul's saying, 
every woman in church, every woman in church, every woman in the gathering wears a head covering. What was Paul doing? You won't know when you come to this gathering. We're all the same. Everybody's equal here. Everybody's valued here. Everybody's respected here. Every woman is loved here. Everybody is elevated to the same exact status. Paul was not regressive. Paul was not backward. Paul was ridiculously forward-thinking. You just got to do a little digging. It's right there with when he explains the Lord's Supper. It's the same chapter. When he explains the Lord's Supper, have you ever heard this? Don't take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. How many have ever heard this verse before? No? Do you guys ever read the Bible? Have you even been to church? Did you... Have you ever read this verse or heard it? Don't take in an unworthy manner. How many have ever been conflicted by this? Because you're like, uh oh, I yelled at my wife on the way to church. Put your hand up. Like, I don't know if I should take communion because I yelled at the kids. And, and this, is what, this is what I was taught in church. You, if you got some, some kind of sin, then you can't, you can't come. And then you have all these things in the Catholic Church with people that are can and can't do it. And don't take it in an unworthy manner. So then you go like, well, should I do a quickie confession in the back row here? And, or do I need an official confession? Or That feels cheap. And this is true. This is what some people do. They don't take communion, and then they think they, like, they wait a week, and then God will get over it. No, I am telling you the darnest truth, and some of you are laughing because it's true, as if God is moody like your dad. It's true. They, they think of God as moody like their dad because their dad would get mad, and they'd say they're sorry, but they knew they weren't really in his graces yet. Dad needs about three days. And that's what we project on God. This stuff's ridiculous. Do you know what it was? He says, some of you, he's like, this is, this is how it was. There was, a, there was a class system. You had rich and you had poor. You had you, rich people. They take off work early. They get to the communion service. It was a meal. Very different than a modern day communion service. It was a meal. It was called a love feast. So they get there early. People that are rich can get off early. They got slaves working for them. If you're poor or if you're a slave, you can't get off early. And so this is what would happen in the New Testament. People would get there early. The people with the money, they're eating. They're, they drank the real stuff. Paul goes, they're drunk. They were already drunk. You should have went to the New Testament church, man. You're like 2,000 years late. They were already drunk by the time the poor and the slaves got there. What was Paul saying about communion and taking it in a worthy He was like, don't separate classes. You don't come here so you can get drunk. And then he says, you should wait. This is what he says. Listen, it's in there. Wait. How many hate to wait when you're hungry? Oh, man, I hate to wait. Anybody? Anybody get, anybody get grouchy? Wait till everyone's there. Wait till the poor can get there, too. Wait till the poor can get there, too. We're all the same. Out there, these people are better than these people. These women can't wear this. In here, we're all the same. Out there, these people are better. Rich are this, poor are that, black is this. In here, we're all the same. We're all the same. We're all the same. We're equal. We're all the same. It was radical. Not slightly radical. 
unbelievably radical. Let's get together because we're all the same. I'm not better than you. You're not better than me. Women aren't better than men. Black's not better than white. Brown's no better than yellow. Right? We're all exactly the same.